is draft season. Welcome back, everybody. John Schmelk, Tony Pauline, Eric Crocker with you. The draft season podcast is presented by Tommy Hilfiger, a PVH brand and an official partner of the New York football giants. Episode three. If you go back in the archive, folks, our last episode, we went through the top fives in all of our offensive position groups. Today, we're going to go through our top fives in our defensive position groups heading into the NFL combine in Indianapolis. So it's going to be interior defensive linemen, edge players, off ball linebackers, cornerbacks and safeties. Gentlemen, let's get right to it. Tony, let's start with you, a very deep edge class, and we'll talk about that too in addition to the top five, but let's go through it. Who are your top fives? And in that conversation, how many of those guys do you think could go in the top 10 or even top five in this draft? Yeah, terrific uh, class of pass rushers and some guys that are versatile. I still have Kayvon Thibodeau as my number one edge rusher. He may not be the first player drafted, but I think two or three years down the road, he's going to be the best player from this draft if he gets it all together and he prioritizes football. Then Aiden Hutchinson, really probably the safer or the safest prospect in this year's draft. David Ajabu of Michigan, who is a terrific edge rusher, as well as an outstanding athlete who can play in space and drop off the line of scrimmage when you need him. George Karlaftis, the former water polo player from Purdue, who's got a tremendous amount of upside, a guy who impacts the game, but a guy who's got to get a little bit stronger. Trayvon Walker, the defensive end, another Georgia player. We'll talk a lot of, a lot of Georgia players uh, on my board today. A guy who plays defensive end. He's a forceful pass rusher, but he can also play off the line in space. Uh, I think all of those guys are first-round picks. All those guys will probably be top 22 picks with uh, with Thibodeau, Hutchinson, as well as Ajabu. Maybe Carl Aftis being top 10 picks. And by the way, folks, just a reminder, if you're listening to this in the Giants Huddle podcast feed, make sure you go and subscribe to the Draft Season podcast channel. Find it, subscribe. If you're a Giant fan, the Giants app, giants.com slash podcast. But again, if you're a draft fan, search for the draft season on any of your podcast platforms. It will pop up and subscribe. I'm going to dive into some of those guys, Tony, because I know edge player is a premium position. And it's one of the deeper ones in this draft class. Before we do, Croc, what's your top five at the edge spot? Uh, I'm, I'm starting off with Kayvon Thibodeau as well. And I liked how Tony said, as long as he's all in on football, because he came out with some questionable comments on national television that were a little interesting, but uh, not going to hold that all the way against him. Definitely a terrific edge prospect, a guy that's extremely explosive off the edge. Uh, maybe not the overall uh, all well-rounded football player that Aiden Hutchinson is, who's my second edge guy. You know, I think when you, when you kind of compare the two, it almost reminds me of a couple of years ago where you had Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, and kind of comparing those two, who's the guy? And and uh, Josh Allen was the more pure, explosive guy, but Bosa was more, you know, just all well-rounded, really good traits. And I think we see the same thing from Aiden Hutchinson, really good motor. Um, you know, maybe doesn't win quite with pure speed, but definitely the power, that uh, power speed off of the line. I think he does a really good job with that. And then I have uh, David Ajabo as my third edge guy. And... I was intrigued. I was actually watching a cornerback that I probably won't mention today, but uh, a cornerback, Vincent Gray. And I, I didn't know if this was David Ajabo's best game, but versus Indiana, I mean, he just kept just jumping off the screen. And I was like, wow, like this is extremely impressive. Even on reps where he didn't quite get to the quarterback in the backfield, but just seeing his pursuit to the ball, I mean, it was amazing. So there might be some people, including me, that think he might even have a higher upside than Aiden Hutchinson. Maybe not quite there right now, but David Jabo, that's my uh, third guy. And now I like Jermaine Johnson and then George Karloftis 
out of Purdue. Uh, Carlottis was a guy who, you know, he's different than the other guys, maybe not as uh, quick or twitchy. But I think his first step off the line getting upfield, I thought that was terrific. He's a little bigger and wider than some of these other guys. But um, that first step and that power that he plays with, I think he'd be good there. And I kind of threw in the sixth guy that I really like. And that's Boye Mafia out of Minnesota. Not top five, but definitely a guy who can potentially creep into the later part of the first round, depending on what a team might covet as an edge rusher and really just how the rest of these guys kind of fly off the board. All right, I want to jump back to the top here, Tony, because both you and Eric had the same type of things to say about Kayvon Thibodeau. You listen to some of the other guys like Daniel Jeremiah. If you listen to his podcast, Move the Sticks, which is a great one. He talks about he's talked to, you know, teams around the league and he is some teams don't even have Thibodeau in their top 10. I think because of some of the things that that you spoke about. So just go into more detail. Why do you think some teams might be a little scared of Thibodeau? Because I think if you watch the tape and you compare him to Hutchinson just based on physical traits, he probably hasn't beat. But I think most people believe Hutchinson's going to be picked before him. So if both of you guys are going to dive into that a little bit, that'd be great. I think with Thibodeau, I think with Thibodeau it's, it'll get to the point where it's paralysis by overanalysis. They'll talk about him being soft, but they forget about the fact that even after he hurt his ankle in the first game of the season against Fresno State, he played the rest of the season. That They'll pick things out of his game and basically look for reasons to downgrade him. And there are some teams that will do that. And like I said, paralysis by overanalysis. I just think, you know, as Eric said, you know, and I said all along, I think he could be the better player two or three years down the road. It's just, you know, do you want the safe pick now? Or do you want the guy that could be the better player two or three years down the road? It's interesting with Jacksonville because, they, you know, Eric talked about uh, Josh Allen. That's the guy who they selected. Now they're at the top of the draft and they have another decision to make. Yeah, I'm, I'm questioning if they're going to go edge there. I, if I'm them, I need to protect my young quarterback. But, you know, one other thing that maybe teams might try to factor in, you know, it could be Kevin Thibodeau against the run where, you know, I don't think that's his strong point. Uh, the NFL right now is really going to this wide open passing game. So, you know, I think a lot of teams are going to prioritize a guy that can get to the quarterback right now, move him off of his spot. You know, one thing that um, I was listening to Colin Cowherd and uh, this morning, and he said every division was won by the best quarterback in that division. Right now it's a quarterback driven league. And how can you kind of affect those quarterbacks is really getting a guy to move the quarterback off of his spot right now. And I think Thibodeau, might not be as good as Hutchinson against the run, but he can move that quarterback right now. And I think that's going to impact games. You know, Eric, you mentioned that there were some things that Thibodeau said that might, you know, <laughs> ring in front office ears. Talk about that a little bit more for me. Yeah, he was talking about not going to Alabama and, you know, it's all about football at Alabama and he's worried about what's after football. And that's great. Like, have a, have a plan B, have different things that you want to do. But I know these NFL guys, when they're looking at this top 10, top five, and they want to spend 30, 40 million dollars on you out the gate, they want to know that you're all in on the process of being the best football player you can be. So uh, that might be something that some teams kind of start to question. And, it, and the way he was saying it, it just sounded weird. I mean, like you're talking about Alabama, the winningest program in college football right now. It's not even close. And it was almost like he was kind of putting down the, the way that Alabama is structured right now, as opposed to what they're doing at Oregon. So it, it came off a little funny to me, just kind of hearing it. But uh, uh, his guess is good that he has a plan B. You know, they, we heard the same sort of controversy with Trevor Lawrence last year. Don't you remember Trevor Lawrence gave an interview where it didn't seem like 
He would do anything and everything to win. And then people started questioning, you know, his commitment to football, which is a little bit outrageous. Uh, you know what? Good thing for Kayvon Thibodeau that this happened before the combine, because next week he will be able to either retract or explain those uh, comments and then take it to another level to make the top teams at the top of the draft feel comfortable about selecting him. So I guess real quick on Thibodeau before we wrap, Tony, just one more quick comment. Interviews for him, I imagine, are going to be probably even more important than the testing at the combine, right? Well, they're both important, as are the medicals. But yeah, I, I mean, they're going to want clarification on where he stands. And even then, as we spoke about before, you know, he may give the right answers, but you don't know until the start of the football season of 2022 as to what type of guy he is on the field. As far as I'm concerned, when I watch him on tape, he is a mean, nasty, athletic guy. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, I watch Hutchinson and I went back and I, I had to motor through these guys. So I didn't do my full wash of them, but I watched all of his pressures, all of his sacks, all of his quarterback hits. And the one thing that jumped out to me about Hutchinson. One, A, his motor's fantastic, and he's always going. He's got great hand usage, great power. But the thing that kind of got to me a little bit, all the Saxon quarterback hits, there wasn't one where he won with a speed rush and kind of bending the edge. And uh, you mentioned safe, and I agree. I think the traits that I mentioned at the beginning of this question make him a safe pick and gives him a very high floor as a prospect. But how great of a defensive end and pass pressure player can you be guys and Eric we'll start with you if you can't consistently challenge offensive tackles with a speed rush I think that can be a little difficult to always have to kind of win a certain way with maybe more power again I kind of compared it to Nick Bosa but one thing about Nick Bosa where he might not win with necessarily speed off the edge but it's just exploding off the edge and then just having the really quick hands to knock guys down and be able to bend around if Aiden Hutchinson can at least get that down and be consistent with that him not looking like Thibodeau coming off the edge won't be an issue. Yeah, you know, listen, I agree with you, John. And I've said this all along. You know, Hutchinson, you, you can't question the motor. He's very productive. He was better in 2022 than he was 2021 than he was in 2020 when he missed half the season with an injury. But, I mean, when you watch the film, how many times did he just put his head down and bull rush the tackle off the line of scrimmage into the pocket? You can do that on Saturday. You can't do that on Sunday. That's why there are things not – forget about Thibodeau. There are things in David Ajabu's game, that his teammate, that I think project better to the next level than Aiden Hutchinson. The speed, the explosion, the ability to bend the edge, the, the natural violence in Ajabu's game. Ajabu's not there yet. Neither is Kayvon Thibodeau. That's why Aiden Hutchinson is the safer pick. But I don't think Aiden Hutchinson has the same upside as a Kayvon Thibodeau. And I don't think he's got the same upside as David Ajabu. All right, we I was blown away some... when I watched Ajabu. Like, just, I, I was watching a cornerback and I could not help but continue to notice <laughs> Ajabu. I mean, it, it looked different. I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I got to watch more on this guy. But just seeing that, I, I went to Twitter and I'm like, is, is this the better edge rusher? But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I'm pretty sure throughout this process, we'll see if it changes for me as far as who's two and three at the edge rushing spot. And you guys have a lot of the same guys. I guess my question for both of you before we move on to another position, how close is the next group, right? Because you talked about Carl Loftus. You guys both have a job. One of you guys have Tavon Walker. I'm, I'm with you, Croc. I have Jermaine Johnson. I actually like him as my third or fourth guy in this group. I think he's fantastic. But then you have other guys that a lot of people like. Arnold um, Ebikiti from Penn State. Uh, Cameron Thomas, San Diego State. Uh, Kingsley Anabari from South Carolina. Um, Boye Mafe from Minnesota. Crocker, you mentioned that. So I guess my question for you guys is how far off is that next group? 
And is, is this going to be a, a deal where edge rusher dominates not just the first round of this draft, but also the second round? And you could probably find a guy that can, you know, push the edge for you in round number two. On my board, there it's at least a round to a round and a half difference when you separation between those top guys okay. and the next group of guys. Now, I, I got Jermaine Johnson a little bit further down uh, in the first round. I got Trayvon Walker a little bit further down than my top four guys. But if you're looking at that group as a whole and you compare it to Boy Mafe, who I like a lot, you're looking, in my opinion, uh, at, at a round to a round and a half difference. So you're looking, Tony, the top guys you have as kind of top 15ers, right? those four, and then you're looking in mid-second round for kind of that next group is, is, is kind of what you're saying. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson, I think, goes first round, but I think it's going to be the bottom third first round. I think Mafe, if he does well during combine drills, especially playing off the ball, you know, dropping into coverage when they do those uh, drills with the uh, defensive linemen, they do linebacker drills, I think he can go top half of round two. But I think after that, it, it's a pretty significant drop-off from, uh, from the next group, the next tier of pass rushers. How about you, Croc? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Even with Boye Moffitt, who I like, and I tried to sneak him in there as kind of a <laughs> six-edge rusher, but between him, even George Karloftis, uh, I think those are guys that are more, I just like to say day two, because it kind of gives me a little wiggle room, if, <laughs> even if some guys potentially slide to the third round. But I'd say, you know, It's still early, Crop. Guys, you, you, you have time to find tune this <laughs> stuff, man. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I, I like those guys, you know, and those are guys I'm uh, going to continue watching. All right, Tony, and you have one sleeper at this spot for us too, right? Yeah, David and I of Houston was not invited to the combine. But if you watch the Houston film, number 12, he's an undersized college edge rusher who basically come, consistently comes out of a three-point stance. Can't be stopped. I mean, you talk about Aiden Hutchinson and the inability to, to rush the edge on a lot of occasions. Watch Anaya of Houston. Now, he's more of a guy that's probably going to line up as a 3-4 outside linebacker. Maybe he lines up as a defensive end in a one-gap system. May not even be drafted. But he's going to be a situational pass rusher at the next level. He's going to be a real good one, I believe. Now, when you say undersized, Tony, you're talking like 230 pounds undersized or like I'm 215 talking, pounds like barely, undersized? I don't know what his uh, exact shrine game measurements were, but it's basically like 6'2", 240 pounds. Oh, that's not too bad. That's not that small. All right, awesome. In the three-point stance, though, uh, in the NFL, trying to play the run, that's why I say he's going to be a pass rush specialist on Sunday. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's put the foot on the pedal here. Let's go to defensive tackle here, guys. And... Croc, let's start your top five. And I like to try to categorize these guys like three technique or no. So if you can kind of go through your list as you do that, we can kind of get a feel for what all these guys can do. Well, I think the number one guy on my list, Jordan Davis, I think it's clear what he is. He's he's a nose, right? Yeah. Big guy. Uh, not a great pass rusher, but I think he'll be really good at a couple of things here, uh, being in the inside there. One, eating up space, being that big space eater. I think he plays with really good, like, initial quickness, but doesn't really give you much after that. So that's something he's going to have to see if he can improve on. I think maybe endurance might have to do something with that as well. Uh, after him, I have DeMarvin Leal, uh, Devontae uh, Wyatt, uh, Perrion Winfrey, and Travis Jones. And I think um, Travis Jones, he was a guy that I, I didn't really know much about. Watching him at the Senior Bowl, how he was performing there, and winning initially, especially in one-on-ones, it kind of jumped out to me. So I know it's probably a little bit higher than most people, but I know I, I got a good chance to see him up close and personal. Uh, I think uh, Devontae Wyatt, Georgia, that's another guy who, some of these guys, he might be more of a three-tech as opposed to a nose, but uh, has some similar strengths, I think, right away. Was, let me go to my notes really quick. Uh, quick off the ball with really good power and uh, leverage. 
So it works well there. Uh, stops and redirects well going away from the when the uh, play is away from him. So that was one thing that kind of jumped out to me. Uh, I think he can improve on his anchor versus double teams. Not as good as his uh, teammate, Jordan Davis. For Jordan Davis, he's going to eat those double teams up and free up other guys. And I think it's necessary to double him. Not quite the same from Wyatt. And uh, another guy that has to improve on his pass rush moves from the interior, which I think is a few of these guys that are rushing from the interior as well. Tony, what do you got? Yeah, my my top five is similar, except I got Wyatt and Leal switched. I got Jordan Davis far and away the best defensive tackle in this year's draft. I don't think he's being given the credit that he's due. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, who improved his game in 2021, is number two. Then Leal of uh, Texas A&M, who's very quick, but he's got to get a little bit stronger. Winfrey of Oklahoma. I My fifth guy, I was back and forth. I went with Chris Hinton of Michigan over Travis Jones because Chris Hinton of Michigan was a consistent player the past two years, a very productive player. I tell people again, we spoke about this last week, go back and watch the Big Ten title game and look what Chris Hinton did to Tyler Lindemann, who everybody loves as a potential first-round pick, ate him up. Travis Jones was great in the senior bowl, but Travis Jones was up and down all last year yeah. against the Holy Crosses, against the UMasses, against the lower-level competition. Chris Hinton showed up and was a major factor in a very good uh, very good defense uh, at the University of Michigan, which is why I have him rated higher than uh, Travis Jones. And Wyatt, Leal, and Winfrey, both more three-technique types. These are guys going to get upfield and penetrate. And even, I was watching Leal this morning. He's someone that played a lot of defensive end for AM this year, too. He played off the edge a little bit for them as yeah. well. Uh, over 270, though, probably going to be uh, more of a three-tech. I want to throw Logan Hall out there, too, guys. Somebody that did really nice at the senior bowl, I thought. Little undersized as, as a defensive tackle, yeah. but again, one of those kind of penetrating speed guys. If you want a, a pass-rushing defensive tackle, Tony, I think I think Tony Hall, or rather, uh, Logan Hall can kind of be one of those guys, too, that can give you something in those middle rounds. Very athletic. Not as good as his teammate who surprised everybody and went in the first round last year, but Hall's a guy who's probably going to come off the board somewhere in day two. He's got a lot of upside. He's just got to physically mature, get a little bit bigger, and get a little bit stronger. I like his future, yeah. Crocker, you a guy that's willing to take, and you mentioned Jordan Davis is your first guy. Both of you guys did. In the modern NFL, is taking a space-eating nose tackle with limited pass rush potential worth the use of a first-round pick, philosophically speaking? I, I think so, depending on who you have uh, rushing, you know, as uh, on the outside or either next to him. But him eating up and demanding double teams in the interior, I think that's going to free up the other guys around him, whether it's in the run game and setting up, you know, second and long or third and long situations, or in the pass game where, you know, he still has that really good strength and power off the line where he can push guys back and knock them into the lap of the quarterback. You know, he's not a good, he's not going to be DeForest Buckner where he beats a guy with that big swim move that Buckner wins with a lot of the times, but being able to just push guys back into the lap of the quarterback, making the quarterback again, move off their spots and then have some edge rushes that'll help clean up the play for him. I think that's where a lot of his, uh, where people are going to like him a lot. Yeah. yeah I think people are selling Jordan Davis short because, you know, you watch the film. How many times you watch the guy get outside the box and make plays towards the flanks? I mean, they had so much talent there at Georgia. You know, we talked about this off camera, John. I mean, they didn't, ask, they didn't have to have the guys just rush up the field and every guy and get after the quarterback every single down. You say a guy like Fedarian Mathis of Alabama, who in my mind is a 
prototypical, you know, two gap nose tackle. He's not really a playmaker. He's more of a space eater. I think Jordan Davis, once they let him loose and, and once he gets proper coaching and also gets in shape, I think he's going to be a, a beast <laughs> at the next level. Interesting. Yeah, right, that in shape part is going to be important because, you know, watching him against Alabama in the first meeting, you know, there's some plays where you just see him standing there at the line of scrimmage. It's like, you know, you can't run after the play, <laughs> but, you know, he has to get that endurance up so he can keep that motor going. Absolutely. Uh, who's your sleeper, Tony, at DT? A guy no one talks about uh, from Memphis. John Tate who had a terrific year. Not the biggest guy in the world, but very quick. If you watch the Memphis film, you can't help but not notice this guy. Number seven in the middle of the field, getting double teams. He got excellent length, terrific first step, fundamentally sound, plays with good pad level. He's not a guy that's going to be drafted, wasn't invited to the combine, but he's someone who will be signed as an undrafted free agent, could make some noise in camp this summer. All right, now let's jump over to weak side linebacker or, or off-ball linebacker. These can be Mike linebackers as well. Anyone that's not going to play on the line of scrimmage, guys that can run in space. Uh, Tony, we'll start with you here. And I know most people have you know two of these guys at the top of the board. You do as well. And then Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. As you go through your top five, what in your mind kind of separates those two and how high should fans be looking for them to go off the board on draft day? I think law, I think it's size, really. I mean, let's keep an eye on how big Nicobe Dean is come uh, his combine workouts. There are some people out there telling me he may not even measure five feet 11, where, you know, De- Devin Lloyd's got those great measurables, 6'3", 235, 240 pounds, and he's incredibly athletic. So I think the size, the fact that uh, Devin Lloyd's got those great measurables when Nicobe Dean is, you know, a little bit smaller, you may have some limitations with him because of that lack of size. That is the big separating factor as far as I'm concerned. I also think that Nicobe Dean's job was a little bit easier at Georgia with all the talent around him, not just the talent in front of him, but the talent on the sides of him and the guys playing behind him who were outstanding made his job a little bit easier not to take away from his game, whereas uh, Devin Lloyd, it was basically him and everybody else at Utah. And then who's the rest of your top five, Tony? Another Georgia kid, Channing Tisdale, who uh, I, I thought played great in that championship game, but he had a real good season. Christian Harris of Alabama, who coming into the season, I would have rated a lot higher, although up until the playoffs, he was kind of up and down, very inconsistent, but a great three-down linebacker at the top of his game. And then Brian Asamoah, another undersized running chase pursuit linebacker, your traditional weak side linebacker in a 4-3, an inside guy in a 3-4 that you just let him run to the ball in pursuit. I thought he did a nice job at the senior two ball too. Uh, Asamoah from Oklahoma. I thought he had a nice little week there. How about you, Croc? Yeah, I think our 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 list are a little different. All right, so I have Nicobe Dean first, Devin Lloyd, uh, Chad Muma, Quay Walker, and Christian Harris. I have him on there as well. Uh, Nicobe Dean, I, and I like how Tony talked about his lack of height. And it's not just the height, man. It's the weight too. I'm pretty sure people are going to be curious to see what he weighs in there. I mean, he's listed at like 225 pounds. That's dang near, you know, strong safety. That's almost a safety, right? Size. Yeah. Right. Without the height. Right. So but one thing that was uh, I really kind of prioritized with both Nicole Dean and Devin Lloyd and why they're ahead of a guy like Chad Moomin for me. I think they're better in coverage, better in space. And when you watch Devin Lloyd, I mean, uh, excuse me, Nicole Dean, I know his job was a little easier. Talked about uh, their front and having two defensive tackles there um, in my top five. They also have two linebackers in there. So definitely a lot more talent around him, but his ability to just run sideline to sideline and chase guys down in that pursuit and then be able to kind of drop down and flip his hips in coverage and be able to do some things there. You know, you look at how they utilize him as, as a uh, pass 
pass rusher as well on some sacks. I mean, he had six sacks in 2021. So just a tremendous blitzer as well. You know, the speed, the football IQ, I think those are going to jump off. And that's why I still have him up there. Hopefully he can weigh in around 230 pounds. You'll feel a little bit more comfortable with him having to take on some blockers right now. Just that freakish athleticism in space. I think that's where I give him kind of the edge there. Uh, I had Chad Mumo on here and I know Tony didn't have him, but I mean, just tr- tremendous, tremendous tackler. All right. That was the one thing that I put out there. Really good. He led the nation in tackles. That's something that's going to be really good. Um, doesn't give up a whole lot of leak yardage. I got that term from listening to Robert Sala talk about when guys go in to make tackles and then they kind of get ran over a little bit and the guy pick up another two, three yards. Weren't really quite seeing that a whole lot. Chad Mooma, he has a size. I think that Tony would covet. So um, that was one thing that jumped out. Really good uh, at uh, shedding blockers at the next level. That was good. But uh, the big question mark I have with him is coverage. And, you know, I talked about the top two guys, how good they are in space chasing guys down. You know, Chad Moomin is not quite the athlete as those guys. And also in coverage, can he cover? Because if not, that's going to be an issue. But he's so heady, really like his instincts, his play recognition. If he can kind of take that over into the coverage part of his game, I think we're talking about a tremendous linebacker. Tony, who's your sleeper? Levi Jones, North Carolina State, a guy who's flashed ability the past two years, six, two and a half, 235 pounds, runs and plays in the low four sixes. You can use him at the line, up the field as a pass rusher, solid against the run, backed off in coverage. He can cover a lot of area, can cover the tight ends. The problem is he's, is he's yet to pull the pieces together. If he does, you're going to have a free agent steal because he's not going to be selected in a draft. Now, after that senior bowl, he might not be a sleeper anymore, anymore, but he did go to Montana State, right? So Troy Anderson, who I really yeah. like too. You know, I had not watched him at all until I, I got to uh, Mobile for that for the for the senior bowl. And and Tony, I thought he was fantastic. And you talk about Mumma's ability to cover. I did not love him in space at the senior bowl. I loved Anderson in space at the senior bowl. He showed the ability to move and cover extremely well. That's what he had to do. I mean, if Troy Anderson was graded as a potential day two pick by a lot of scouts coming into the senior bowl. Now, if you watch him on film, he's a big forceful guy at Montana State FCS Division One AA. He goes sideline to sideline. He's great in the box. But there was always that question as, can he make plays moving in reverse? And that was something that he had to answer at the senior bowl. And he did it in a good way. I had written about it at Pro Football Network right after the senior bowl. He was a major winner primarily because he exceeded the expectations in coverage against the tight ends, against the running backs when they do the the one-on-ones. He didn't look stiff. He looked almost natural, which is something he didn't do at Montana State. You know, Croc, and you mentioned this, and I think this will be the last point we'll make our linebackers before we go on to the defensive backs. You know, I think linebacker might be right now the hardest position in, in, in the NFL to play because you have to do so many things, right? Uh, for the teams that run the read option, you got to, you know, make reads on that. You have to be able to cover tight ends or these, you know, running backs that are basically, you know, half wide receivers now coming out of the backfield. <laughs> you, they also want you to take on offensive linemen, shed them, and then make a play in the running game in the box. I mean, these are really tough things for one guy to be able to do. So are we almost at the point here? And obviously both of you guys can answer this where you almost had to put these linebackers into boxes where this is, you know, becoming a specialized position just because we don't have many guys out there like a Micah Parsons who has the physical skills to kind of do everything, where now this is kind of, you know, what packaging in that's going to kind of determine who's on the field. Yeah, you know, and it probably just depends on the team, right? You know, I get to cover the 49ers 
who have a guy by the name of Fred Warner. He wasn't well, a he's pretty good. stack linebacker or playing in the box guy coming out of BYU. He was dang near like a like a star position player, kind of like a nickel type guy that they had to kind of see, uh, project to playing the full time middle linebacker position. Now he has a, the height, the size, you know, at 6'4", 235 pounds, and he has the range of athleticism to cover. They said, well, if we can get him to be a better tackler and be able to do some of those things, we've got a tremendous football player, and he's kind of developed into that. I wonder if some of these teams will start to prioritize the cover skills, guys that have size, and then just say, hey, we'll see if we can teach him how to uh, make run fits. And I think that's worked with uh, Fred Warner. I'm not sure if it's going to work for everybody else, but uh, that, that coverage – what 49ers kind of prioritized with him, and I've seen him run vertically with receivers, the, the guys in the number three spot. He has to run with those guys. There's been plays where he's had to run upfield and flip his hips and make a play on the ball in space against guys like Hollywood Brown. That's a lot to ask of a linebacker. Yeah, I mean, that's why you get the you get you have the uh why they're called two down linebackers or two down players, because when it's third and six or third and seven, you got to take them off the field. In coverage, that's also why you're starting to see more and more teams select college safeties and move them up to outside linebackers because they have that athleticism, because they have the speed. And that's also why Devin Lloyd is my number one rated space linebacker, because if you watch him, he covers a tremendous amount of area. He's good up the field on the rush. He gets great depth on his pass drops. You can play him in coverage over those running backs, over the tight ends. Same thing with Christian Harris of Alabama, who was exceptional at it. It's just he was a little inconsistent about it in 2021. And by the way, Croc mentioned it. You can find him in the Lockdown 49ers podcast, the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast, and of course, Tony, you can find him over at Pro Football Network. And Croc, also the former defensive back and corner, so I have to let you lead off on the uh, on the corners, my man. Go ahead. Who do you got? Yeah, these are my guys. I'm kind of surprised I'm saying this right now, but I have Sauce Gardner at number one, Derek Stingley at two, Andrew Booth at three, Roger McCray, who I really like, but still questionable with a little bit of like length concerns, things like that. Not sure to matter. I'll get into that in the entire uh, Elam out of Florida. But uh, Sauce Gardner, and, and I went back and I watched Derek Stingley. And one thing that jumped out to me, just the, on any film that you put on, just the plays that pop and say, wow, that's, that's a little different. All right. So I'm watching Sauce Gardner against Alabama. Those are the best receivers he'll play against. Lined up plenty of times against Jameson Williams. And there's this thing called pressure key, visual key, right? So when I was watching the national or the playoff game, it was this one play where it looked like cover two. He was on the outside, got his hands on the guy, watched him down the line. There was a guy that went in motion. He flared out to the uh, sideline. He came off number one, made the tackle on the guy in the flats. And I'm thinking, okay, it's cover two. Well, last weekend, I'm watching the all 22, it's single high safety. I'm like, wait, I'm looking at everybody else. This is man coverage. So he had the awareness to get his hands on the guy, had him controlled. Now I can peek, sees the guy going out into the flats, peels off of him and make, makes a tackle for loss. That was special to me, just the kind of awareness that he has. Wow. I was a little worried with those kind of guys that said at six foot three, 200 pounds. Hey, what are his feet going to look like? Uh, can he get a little too handsy? Uh, you know, what are their hips going to look like? And I thought for the most part, he moved extremely well for someone of his size. There were times at the line of scrimmage where he would get a little too handsy, but when he did it right and trusted his feet and used his feet, I, I like to say press with your feet. When he pressed with his feet and used his feet to get in position to get hands on, it looked really good. And I didn't see any issues covering guys vertically. Now, is, is he the best guy in space? Maybe not. That's an area where he could potentially improve. But, hey, play him at the line of scrimmage more, 
Think he reads concepts extremely well. They play a versatile defense there at Cincinnati. Think he'd be good there. Uh, I talked about Roger McCrary. He's my CB4 in this class. And, you know, he, he was a guy who, again, watching him against Alabama, I like to watch guys against the best talent that they played against and how they utilize him. He maybe was targeted 12 times in that game. I mean, there was plenty of times he was targeted. I thought he held his own at all levels playing in the, in the slot against these guys, playing on the outside. He ran with slot phase extremely well, broke up a couple passes uh, on slot phase, one in the end zone, one down the left sideline, thought he covered guys in space well. It, his issue was more so of uh, they played so much man. Sometimes when he got caught in traffic, he was able to kind of give up some chunk plays. But aside from that, thought he was going to press. He can play some off. Thought he challenged receivers very well. So he's a guy who I probably am higher on him uh, then where I have him, which is at four, but a guy I really like. Tony. Yeah, I got the same five guys, but a little bit different order. I got Stingley slightly ahead of Ahmad Gardner. I, I mean, Stingley's phenomenal play as a freshman. I just can't get that out of my mind. And he was, you know, he was a shutdown guy. Now, he hasn't played much football the past two years, and there are some question marks about that. And I can see Ahmad Gardner jumping him, want to see what happens at the combine. But Stingley, you know, I guess Stingley sort of a roll of the dice. Are you getting the Stingley that we saw as a freshman in 2019? Or are you getting the guy that really hasn't played too much football the past two years? And even in 2020, didn't play that well. I, I still like what I saw from uh, Stingley early on. And, and Tony, just really quick to add on Stingley. I went back and I watched that that freshman year tape. His ability to turn his hips and change direction and transfer to man and trail and all that stuff. It is. He doesn't lose any speed. It was elite of the elite. And get his head back around downfield and track the yeah. pass in the ball and position himself against the opponents, which Ahmad Gardner improved on last year, but still has been a problem, you know, with the face guarding at times. Uh, after that, I have Roger McCreary. Yeah, I know he's got short arms, not the biggest guy in the world, but man, this cat, this cat gets it between the ears. You can just see he, he's got great awareness. He's got great instincts. He makes plays with his back to the ball, which I absolutely love and put a premium on. He's got a great burst of ball. He's consistently productive, just phenomenal ball skills. Andrew Booth right there with uh, McCreary on my board. Andrew Booth, I want to see what his uh, true measurements are at the uh, at the combine, see if he measures six foot tall. And, there, and then Kara Elam is my number five guy. I like Elam a lot. I think uh, the fact is, is he wasn't targeted all that much at Florida because he was so good. But he's a guy who I think is going to go second round, but is realistically first round type talent. And by the way, folks, just so you guys know at home, we do not share these lists before we go. So when you say, boy, these lists are really similar, that just means with two guys doing completely different types of tape study that they're coming to the same conclusions. That should tell you something. Let me ask you guys about one guy that didn't appear in either one of your lists, and I watched him this morning, and I was pretty impressed by him, and that's Trent McDuffie out of Washington, and they've developed a lot of good cornerbacks. He is sticky as hell, man. Like, I think he could end up being a really good NFL slot guy. He played a lot of zone there. He did play some man, too. I thought, he, I thought he was fluid enough to really mirror in coverage. What did you guys think of McDuffie, and, and is he the kind of that next guy up for you guys on, on your lists? You know, with some of these guys that play so much zone, almost like what we saw a few years ago, Byron Jones, I mean, yeah. Byron Murphy, and I know same school, but they were kind of utilized the same way. It's hard to see them in man coverage. I mean, he played so much off. He wasn't really challenging himself. And then the, the receivers that he went against, I didn't think that they were really challenging him as much. So I think there's just a lot more. Maybe I have to dig a little bit deeper with McDuffie. I know there are people that really like him and think that, hey, really good mindset, uh, versatile type cornerback. But I, I just have to see a little bit more. I didn't see him challenged enough as opposed to these other guys. I have no questions 
about who they are and what I'm seeing and what my notes are saying on film. Yeah, I, I mean, he is my number five cornerback, but he is a bit, a, a bit ways away from Elam. I mean, you know, in my top five, I got three SEC corners for good reason. I got a Cincinnati corner who their, their team has played phenomenal the past two years and a guy from Clemson. So I, I think when you look at the Pac-12, you know, the talent may not be as good. It may be a little bit easier for Trent McDuffie. He also had a good uh, corner playing on the other side of him. Uh, I like McDuffie. I just don't like him as much as the other guys. All right, I got two more questions on the corners here, guys. What I do like about this class and all the guys you mentioned, and again, we'll put McDuffie to the side here because you're right. He played a ton of zone in Washington. You know, we've seen all these guys play press, right? Like Stingley played press. Booth played press. Um, McCreary played press. Sauce played press. And a lot of times... Booth also college- played a ton of off coverage as well. Yeah. I thought his feet, hips, and transitioning in and out of breaks was tremendous from off coverage. So, but go ahead. No, absolutely. <laughs> but I think it's important because so many times with so many of these college programs going to so much like quarters bail stuff, you don't get to see them play the type of defense. A lot of the times they're going to be asked to play in the NFL. And I do think with this group, we have a pretty good feel for what they're going to look like if they are asked to play more man crock at the NFL level. Right. And, and that's what I look for first, because you can teach zone, you can teach zone eyes, but having the ability to really be sticky in man coverage and have those traits and be able to show those traits in college. I think the SEC, they do it better than anyone in the sense of like guys are really challenged. You don't see you don't see a lot of teams just oh, we're just going to play quarters and just sit off in the SEC. You see guys getting up in guys faces and they're challenged against some of the best receivers or most athletic receivers. So at least you can see how that transitions into the NFL. It's a little easier when you can see guy play man then all right, I, I could teach you how to play some zone as opposed to maybe uh, Josh Jackson came out of Iowa a few years ago and there was so much cover three, so much off. The few times I did see him play, man, a little long with his movements, it's like, man, like you would like to see a little bit more, but it's like, how does that transition to the NFL? I wasn't as high of, at, on him as some other people that thought he had terrific ball skills, which he did from off. But how can you play, man? I think that transition better to the NFL better than teaching guys his own. And I think that's why Roger McCreary doing that so well in the SEC, then replicating that at the senior ball is why he's probably cemented himself as a late first round pick. Even the I, guy with short arms and all those other things that he might have working against him, slight flame, f- uh, frame, 5'11", 185 pounds, not the biggest of guys, but he put it on film. that can cover any type of receiver and run vertically with them. Do you think teams will pigeonhole him crock as a slot guy in the pros or do you think he can play outside? Oh, man, I I think that that conversation is definitely going to be had when you have arms. I mean, he has like these little T-Rex arms. They were like 29 inches or 28 (laughs) inches. That is not ideal, especially for some teams. I'm pretty sure just took him off their board altogether. You know, I think it was the uh, Seattle Seahawks that I mean, they want if you don't have 32 inch arm length, they don't want you. And there are other teams uh, that are going to go with that as well. So there's going to be some teams that cross them off regardless of what we saw on film. No question about it. Would any of these corners for you guys, and how would you rank them up against the two top corners from last year, Sertan and J.C. Horn? Who would be the first two guys off the board? <laughs> That's a good one. I, I mean, I like Sertan, and I loved Horn. I still think you're talking about different drafts because last year was so quarterback heavy. I'm just happy. So, I stumped Tony. I'm excited. Look at yeah, it. You know, hey. <laughs> last year you had what three quarterbacks go and, and basically push those guys down. Uh, I would say I would probably have both certain and JC Horn rated slightly higher 
than Stingley and Gardner. How about you? I I loved JC Horn. And the reason why was it, it was some of the things that you can't teach and your measurements can't teach this as well. It was just who he was, just the competitor, the alpha male, the leader. You know, I have got some insight from one of my guys that was at South Carolina telling me, hey, from the time this guy showed up, he was the leader in the secondary as a true freshman, those type of leadership skills. And then when he went and tested extremely well through the roof, jumped over 40 inches, ran in the four threes, and they said, hey, were you inspired by what Patrick Santan did? Said, no, I'm the standard, right? On national television, I'm the standard for what these other guys want to be. And I'm like, man, it's hard to find guys that are like that. And the challenges he took on in college, shadowing guys, you don't see a whole lot of shadowing going on in college football, but he would cover you outside, inside, guard big guys, smaller guys. And there were some things he could improve on in the sense of movement skills and things like that, but just tremendous. So he'd still be my, my number one. And another guy, like you didn't even mention him, but uh, Greg Newsom out of yeah. Northwestern, he had some injury issues, but that was a guy I thought he had the best overall film in the sense of being a press guy, off guy, challenging himself in space, his feet doing a lot of the thinking for him out there. I mean, he, he was tremendous and he had a really good rookie year to back that up. Interesting. So we'll see. I think both Gardner and Stingley guys, top 10 picks. Uh, going to be top 12 picks, top 10, top 10 picks. We'll, we'll you know, let's see what happens at the combine. Let's see. If they run well. Yeah, they run well. Top 15 for sure. For sure. Do you think the Stingley stuff might scare enough teams off where he could drop? Or do you think that freshman table will kind of keep him up there? I don't think he's going to drop that far because, you know, he's going to be he's going to be over six foot tall. And then, uh, you know, McCreary's smaller. Andrew Booth, I don't know how tall he's going to be. We'll see what his measurements are. And I just don't think he's as good as Kerry Elam. You know, we didn't say we as didn't long say as it. they no, as long as they stay away from uh, Stingley versus Devontae Smith. I think he should be all right. But they watched that film he, both years. He kind of struggled and maybe it's injuries. And then that's a whole nother question as well. Yeah, you go back. Devontae Smith beat him deep a couple times in those games. No question about it. Um, and then Booth, you guys mentioned. We didn't really touch much on Booth except to kind of mention him in passing. You know, I thought he made some really nice plays, but then early in the year, there were some big plays he gave up too, I thought. Kind of a boomer bust guy. G give me a little thumbnail on Booth. I, I think... Yeah, I, I, oh, oh, no, I was just say, from, from a movement skill standpoint, doesn't get much better with his feet. The hips change the direction, the athleticism. You know, there's this freakish interception that's floating around uh, the internet right now. I remember seeing it earlier in the season, and you see it now where he just, I mean, leaps out the building to pick off a pass and just having that type of natural, fluid athleticism. I think some teams are really coveted. You, you, you know, yeah, got beat early on in some things. But again, they're just going to look at his traits, his ability, and what's consistent on film. And it was a lot more good than bad, that's for sure. And he's smart. I mean, he's got good instincts. He doesn't yeah. have mental lapses on the field. He doesn't have breakdowns. He's constantly making positive plays, which is another part of it. You know, a guy can have goal, the, the greatest physical skills in the world, but if he's if he's late transitioning off the line with an opponent, if he can't find the ball, you know, that, that's a problem. That's not an issue for Booth. Yeah, that was a great play I watched this morning. I think he was playing a third of the field in cover three, and he got caught, right? You had the tight end running down the seam on his side. You had the wide receiver running deep down the sideline. He was trying to play both and kind of, you know, measure both, and he broke on the tight end just in time to knock the seam pass away. Thought it was a really nice look. Tony, who's your sleeper at corner? 
Kid by the name of uh, Sam Womack from uh, Toledo, a little bit smaller, 5'10", 5'9 180 pounds. He's been a real good cornerback at Toledo for three years running now. I think he's a terrific dime back slot corner at the next level. All right, I have and- a sleeper as well. Uh, Vincent Gray out of Michigan. I think he's a guy nobody's really talking about. And, you know, he had a rough kind of year before, but I thought this year kind of bounced back well. Thought he showed tremendous ability to really be able to play press as well as some off, not as great in space. And there might be some question about his speed. I thought on film, he didn't have any issues covering the vertical pushing routes. Maybe didn't play against the elite guys, but I have not seen the all 22 of the Ohio State game. So I would love to see that for kind of really giving my final analysis on him. But uh, overall, just the physicality, going out of his way to make tackles, uh, his ability to play press at the line of scrimmage. Uh, not too many times you see him out of phase. Did a terrific job of reading receivers down. I think a lot of, uh, you know, he has a size. He has all that. It's going to be come down to how well does he test and potentially kind of bump him up into maybe a late day two type guy. Yeah, going against those Ohio State receivers, obviously, that's a that that's a great test. Three excellent, excellent players going down the field there. All right, let's wrap it up with safety, boys. Tony, obviously, we know Kyle Hamilton's number one uh, for everyone. <laughs> Who do you have rounding it out? And are any of these guys going to sneak into the first round? Yeah, I, I think Hamilton's the only first rounder at the position. After that, Lewis Seen of Georgia, who I think is a tremendous overall safety guy. You can play in coverage over the uh, slot receiver. He's not going to be a liability. Great range. Here's a sleeper to keep an eye on. I'm sure no one else has got his name out there. Nick Cross of Maryland, who is expected to test through the roof at the combine, was a good player at Maryland. Again, very good against the pass, not just a downhill up the field safety, but can go sideline to sideline when the ball is in the air and makes a lot of positive plays. I like Jaquan Brisker of Penn State a lot. Very explosive. Gets to the ball, makes a lot of positive plays. And Jalen Petrie of Baylor, who kind of played a hybrid Linebacker safety position at Baylor, went to the senior bowl, you know, proved that uh, you were talking about Troy Anderson before Montana State, proved that it, it was made the seamless transition into coverage in those one-on-one drills, great in his hips, fluid moving uh, backwards, was able to stay on the receiver's hip out of breaks, really showed me a lot of coverage skills at the senior bowl, which he wasn't asked to do all that much of at Baylor. Croc. Yeah, so I got Kyle Hamilton. For, that's my number one guy. When you have that 6'4 frame, 220 pounds, the ability to cover space as he has. I mean, we've all seen the plays where, you know, he's playing too high, far hash, and beelines all the way across the field to make an interception, diving interception on the sideline, shows special range. And his range just doesn't just stop there in coverage, where he's a playmaker as well. But his range just started off as a too-high safety come down on key downs, and I saw him make a tackle for a loss on fourth and two, starting out as a two-high safety. That, that was tremendous. Uh, how will he do in space consistently, especially in the NFL, if he's asked to do a little bit more man coverage, guys, being that long-cut, long-legged type guy? Can he transition and uh, move with guys in space? That's going to be a question, but I think he has a lot of ability. I can't wait to see how he tests. I got Daxton Hill second, uh, Jalen Petrie third, Lewis seen and then Verone McKinley out of Oregon, showing a little bit of love to some Pac-12 guy. But um, Daxon Hill and Petrie both have the ability to play some safety, but also come down playing the nickel. Michigan did a ton of this with Daxon Hill. Ryan Hill up in slots, felt comfortable with him playing coverage in space, running with slot fades was one of the toughest things to do, especially for a safety. I think he did that well. I think NFL teams might prioritize his coverage ability and kind of bump him up a little bit. So, uh, yeah, those were – and then um, 
there was a play that showed his toughness, right? I'm watching him against Indiana and he runs vertically, does a terrific job running with a slot fade, locked up, straps, uh, don't throw it here. But the quarterback took off and a quarterback that has a full head of steam, he defeated the block and then with really no ability to kind of really gather any type of momentum, just runs straight into the quarterback, flips the quarterback. And I was like, that guy has some stones because a lot of times when guys run at you and you don't have a good angle to take some of the brown away from that impact, they kind of shy away from it. He didn't. That that showed the mindset that he has for a guy that's not very big. And then, guys, make the case. Kyle Hamilton worth a top five pick, worth a top ten pick, or maybe not even that. Where do you guys stand on that with Kyle Hamilton? Yeah, I don't think he's worth a top five pick. And go back to what Eric said. This is something I've said all along. You know, he's a long-limbed guy who's more of a loper. You know, is he going to be able to cover a lot of area and space? And I go back to what I said one of the first shows we did. I think as you get closer to the draft, you're going to hear more and more people talking about Kyle Hamilton's uh, best position at the next level is outside linebacker, not safety. Go back to what we, we talked about at the linebacker position, how they're moved, taking athletic safeties and putting them in outside linebackers so they can you know cover the tight end, so they can cover the running backs. I like Kyle Hamilton. I'm just not in love with him as a pure, true free safety in the NFL or, or really a top five, top eight pick. And you talked about moving the safety to linebacker. 49ers have three of those. I talked about Fred Warner, but also Dre Greenlaw. He played safety a lot at Arkansas. And also Aziz Al-Shair, he uh, played some safety in college as well. So maybe Kyle Hamilton's the next in line for that transition. All right, you guys got some sleepers. Tony, how about you first? Yeah, Devonnie Reed of uh, Central Michigan. 73 tackles last year, two interceptions, six pass breakups. This is a kid who did nothing but make product, play productive football at Central Michigan, wasn't invited to the combine, watches pro day. Again, one of those guys that's going to slip out of the draft, be signed as an undrafted free agent, and then make an NFL roster as a ninth defensive back next year. Croc, you got a name for me or no? I, I got one name, and we'll see if he plays corner, if he plays safety, but Will Adams from Virginia State, that's an HBCU, a guy that I really like watching him in person. Didn't measure in in the sense of height, weight, is what it looked like in person. He looks like 6'3", 205 pounds. He measured in at about 6'2", 190 pounds in that range. Uh, vertical jump was 40-plus inches. Broad jump over 10 uh, 40, it sounds like he's going to improve on that from what he did at the HBCU Combine. But just from an athletic standpoint, I think that's a guy that if he can add a little bit of weight to his frame, his, he was smooth, in and out of breaks. I thought he transitioned well. I thought the change of direction was extremely well while watching him. That's a guy who I think, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, he's not going to be at the Combine, so that might hurt him a little bit with that exposure. But maybe a guy that could be either a potential late round or undrafted rookie free agent. All right, guys, that's the defense. Great job. We'll be back with you next Monday with our combine preview. We'll talk about the event itself. Tony has some reporting as to how it kind of all came together. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the guys that will shine out, some of the guys that need to shine out, and uh, what NFL front offices think is most important that takes place there. Gentlemen, great stuff. Good to talk to you as always. For Tony Pauli and Eric Crocker, I'm John Schmoke. Thanks for being with us on the Draft Season Podcast. Remember, find it on your favorite podcast platforms and subscribe. This is Draft Season. We'll see you next time.